The one thing that I believe would work everywhere is fighting. Because it doesn't matter what color you are, what country you come from, or what language you speak. We're all human beings and fighting's in our DNA, man. We get it and we like it. Hi, I'm Michael Morgan and welcome to this week's episode of The Wocast. Joining me this week, my sister from another mister, the baddest motherfucker in town, G from WoTV. I've, I've seen the picture. I've got official reference now. You are the BMF. Man, it's an incredible episode. We've got just recapping um, most of what happened at UFC 244. Um, G. Really and truly, the floor is yours. I mean, just from your own perspective. I know we're going to kind of like, you know, have um, listener interjection. Oh, yeah. But just from your own perspective, now that you're actually sitting in the comfort of your own home after that experience, you know, um, hold on a minute, just a second. Okay, I'm just getting some plates because you and I are going to be in some serious pro as well. So here's a plate for you. And here's a plate for me because both of us, I hope you got your knife and fork ready as well. But no, I mean, from your own perspective, from, um, you know, a fan's perspective, from, you know, you were there as media as well. Just really and truly looking back on that, if there was one word that could sum that up, what would that be? Surreal. It, 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 it was surreal. It was unreal. It just was like, am I really doing this? Am I really standing across from... Masvidal and and Nate Diaz are they like within arm's length and am I talking to these people like this is nuts but of course I played it off like it wasn't nuts and that I was some like media journalist of course this was just all inside with my heart racing but it was awesome unreal incredible and what what I really loved as well was you know you brought it to us in 4D vivid pictures vivid sound I mean we had the commentary as well speaking of which if people do want to actually chime in on any of the issues that we're actually speaking about today, first off, you know, um, this actual podcast doesn't actually survive without your interaction. So I'm so pleased that so many of you are chiming in um, using our Twitter handles. And that's mine at Mike TV and G's at G from Woe TV. There you go. And also, it'd be great if you could head over to all the usual channels and rate and subscribe. It'll be amazing to hear your thoughts, as some of you have actually started to put down, you know, what you're actually thinking about the actual um, WOCast. But, you know, one of the intriguing things for me was leading up to Saturday, there were so many narratives going in there. Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Kelvin Gastelum versus Darren Till. Is he going to get his visa? Isn't he going to get his visa? I mean, there, there was that. But also, just in terms of the event itself, you know, Donald Trump doesn't actually um, go to every single major event uh, that's out there. And to see him actually, you know, front row and centre at UFC 244 was a thing to behold. You know, we've got so much that we need to cover So much so that we're actually going to break this down in terms of two episodes. So episode one, people will be able to catch today. And episode two will more than likely be out at the end of Thursday. So, you know, back to you. I think what would be really, really 
cool. I think, you know, and, and you know, I'm going to let people behind the 4-4 and let people behind the curtain. You suggested to me, look, we've got so many um, interactions online, so many people actually submitted um, listener mail that a lot of it does actually help us unpack the event. So why don't we fire up a few of those? I know it's um, not the usual format, but why don't we fire up a few of those so that we can actually, um, you know, unpack UFC 244. Yeah, why not? So we've got some very, very fun and interesting listener questions. Let me have a gander at my my notes, if you can give me one sec. So- take your time, take your time. Just whilst you're uh, firing up your notes, just to let people know, I've had a few inquiries already, but the Wocast merchandise is being worked on as we speak. It will be available um, via wotv.com. You are going to be in for a treat. Now, we have got, I would say, probably one of the best designers, one of the best illustrators in the game, um, actually working on this fight symposium. Um, I think when people uh, cop their eyes on this, this, I feel, is going to be everywhere. Are we ready? Yeah, we're ready. I'm ready. So, from Raging Sweet Potato, his question was, Mm. (laughs) what a name, and you should see his profile picture. It looks like a huge penis, and it's very scary. Yeah, I've seen it, (laughs) but made out of potato, right? Yes, it is so frightening. Awesome dude, awesome dude, awesome follow. Um, His question is, what was the most surprising part of your media slash backstage experience? And I will have to say that when I attended the post-conference, the, you know, the conference after the fight with all the fighters and they come out one by one, to see, yeah. to Mike, to see their injuries um, was astounding. Even though I've seen it before when wow. I watched the fights, but to see Darren Till come in on crutches and also just Mm-mm. physically and visibly, you can see that he's in pain. He's wincing. He's moving slowly. A trainer is helping him. And it's so funny. Everyone thought that fight was boring, according to the blogs. And there wasn't that many significant Mm. strikes. There wasn't that much Mm. damage. So if you think about it, a fight that didn't even produce a lot of output had him looking like he had been hit by a truck. You know what I mean? He had a knee injury. He was he looked exhausted and he was moving like he had been hit by a car. And then uh, what's it called? Nate Diaz's um, those cuts. When I saw him come into for the post-conference, I knew exactly why the doctor had stopped it. It looked horrible. And what I saw was sewn up. It looked disgusting. Um, Stephen Thompson's face was extremely red and puffy, and his hand was the size of a balloon. So it was just, it was surreal to see, like, what they go through to put this entertaining bouts for us and what they put their bodies through. They looked horrible. The injuries look bad. You see, that's really interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say, especially you had the close-up and personal view of his stitched-up eye. Just imagine what the doctor, a horrified doctor, would be looking at when, you know, inside the octagon, in the, in the, in the heat of the battle. I personally feel, especially when they um, went close-up, I personally feel he made the right call. For my entertainment's sake... I really don't feel that it's right for a man to lose his eye. I mean, look what happened to Bisping. Now, oh, I know yeah. that was different circumstances, but the fact is fighters need to be protected from themselves. And that was, I feel, the doctor's call and the doctor made the right call. Um, I feel as well that, you know, maybe Nate is too 
strong for his own good, too oh, he... determined for his own good and too hard ass for his own good because, you know, he couldn't actually see from the doctor's vantage point. And I personally feel that that was definitely the right call to make. And you're absolutely right, because during the conference, Nate said a couple of things that were very interesting. He said Dana White exaggerated, you know, the damage that Dana had articulated in his post-fight conference about his um, injuries and that he was, and yeah. Nate also complained, it's an old cut. It always opens up. Let me fight. And I can see, and I can still see. So what's the problem? And he was very upset. But the problem is that the fighter is not there to protect the BMF belt and title and the fans. They're there to protect the fighter and me sitting across from him. Now, Mike, when it happened, I was like every other fan. Mm. I was like, fuck that. Let it keep going on. This is stupid. I, I've seen worse. When that man came there out and sat in front of me, I was like, oh, hell no, that fight needs to be stopped. Oh, mm. I finally, and that's what I mean by like, when you see the injuries in person, maybe five feet away from you, it's a totally different ball game than when you see it on TV. It's folks, it's worse. You know what I mean? It's not even just that. It's not even just that. I feel that, you know, Masvidal, he, it was, for me, a one-sided beatdown. It was almost as though he was toying with Nate because, you know, the way that he came out was playing playfully, throwing that um, flying knee or pretending to yeah. throw the flying knee and then just took him to school. I've never seen Nate pressurised like that uh, in a long while. And plus, you know, he was being outstruck. It was almost as though, you know, I, I don't know, it was almost as though Masvidal was... In control. Uh, well, we're, we're waiting for... Nate basically just to say, okay, no mas, right. I, I quit. Be obviously that would never happen. But he was almost in between each strike or each succession of strikes. He was pausing. It was almost as though, yeah, like, uh, have you they had enough Yeah, yet? what you going to do? Or are you, you in yeah, this or exactly. not? Right. I just, I, what caught me with that fight, what caught me off guard was that I'm so used to Nate Diaz and that forward pressure. And what I saw yeah. this time was Jorge getting out of the way of the forward pressure by slipping but then at other times it was Jorge who was in control of the fight it was it was him that was moving forward and kind of controlling Nate Diaz and that's not really Nate Diaz's style he's the one that's e coming forward and Masvidal was the one that was landing the shots coming forward and then using his power and, and landing more significant strikes because he has more tools in the shed he was kicking him those those mm. body shots to the um the kicks to the body were hurting Nate and he was just in control. Mike, how about how quickly was that kick to the face um, that Masvidal did in the beginning of the first round? I thought the fight mm, was about exactly. to be called off. There you oh, go, man. No, I, I, you're, that's what I'm saying. It was almost as though each succession of strikes, he was almost saying, "Okay, I, I, have you had enough now?" Yeah. Is that all that you've got? Because I've got more. Right. And even took him down at one point, slammed him to the ground, kicked and there you go. elbows from the clinch. And, oh, it was just a pure dominance. And even when Nate was on his back, uh, Masvidal was holding his ankles and controlling, like um, making sure he wasn't up kicking him, you know, and then he was coming down with some pinpoint strikes even on the ground. I mean, it was just, it was a pure domination. I won't say he outclassed but, but, him, but he dominated. mm well, I think there was a squeaky bum time when, you know, Nate went for the heel hook and it looked yeah, as though, round. you know, everybody uh, respects um, Nate's game on the ground. He's a savage on the ground. He's a black belt mm -hmm. on the ground. And, um, you know, I have to say, you know, looking at that, I did feel, oh, is he going for a heel hook there? But, you know, he just 
calmly just stepped over, controlled that, That's, and then started raining down some pinpoint accurate but, strikes. But you know why Jorge was unbothered with that attempt, even though Nate Diaz is like a superior black belt and a Gracie black belt. The reason why Jorge was able to just get out of that is because people sleep on his jujitsu. Yeah. Jorge Masvidal is the fighter that is good in every facet of MMA. Now, remember, now you're remember right. he fought Damian Maya, and although he lost, Damian Maya could not submit him. And D- Damian Maya told the media it was one of the hardest fights he's had because defensively, mm, Jorge mm. could not be submitted. So don't sleep on Jorge and on the ground. He's not worried about it. So he got out that heel hook and he kept it moving. And I wasn't surprised. I, I'm, I'm aware of his prowess on the ground, especially after the Damian Maya fight. So we've got a question that unpacks the, or allows you to unpack the um, down till Kelvin Gastelum fight. Um, I didn't get too many questions about the Kelvin. I can, if I know, because, I know you're editing, you know, in the you're editing, right? Even though we're recording, because I can find one real quick. No, 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 no. I, I was about to say, um, I think that you know the elephant in the room here is that not many people and, and i'm not sure why not many people are actually comment on the f- commenting on the fact that you know let's call it what it is in the weigh-in mm-hmm. in the run-up to this fight gasolum cheated i mean to have his <laughs> elbow, elbow it, yeah well, it, well there you go i mean we we almost didn't have a fight here i mean like i said there were so many stories in terms of um, narratives in the lead up to this one and that one came from left field I did not expect to see that he clearly he clearly well okay it, it looked as though that gave him the advantage in terms of making weight oh it did and I believe they're going to find him for it there's going to be some type of um, penalization for those shenanigans that he pulled off because if you run it back if you watch the video he most definitely leans on his trainer and he's having difficulty making weight you know, there you go. so mm. you know you can play it off all you like, but there's definitely you can see him leaning on Rafael Cordero. And then, even though at first nobody said anything or it was just talk on the blogs, the commission is now prepared to penalize him for it. So it's confirmed that he somewhat cheated to make weight. So we'll see what they do. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, speaking of elephants in the room, I, I did introduce the plates at the beginning. Now. You know, I don't I don't think that it should be skirted over that, you know, I have to eat serious crow just to step back ever so slightly and uh, sniff this wonderful uh, fowl that is before me. Um, this, this this wonderful bird, which has been prepared. And, um, <laughs> there is a little bit of gravy and um, stuffing even. But this crow has to be eaten. And that is I bet against Darren. So did I, I bet against him because it looked like, again, the narrative to this was that this wasn't going to take place because of the visa issues it wasn't going to take place because of the um, jet lag lag. and you know to a certain extent just listening to his post-fight interviews it wasn't going to take place because of him saying outright that he was scared he was looking for a way out of this fight he was going to fake an injury so with all of that in mind you know it's incredible that this actually took place full stop but you know whilst it wasn't the prettiest of fights whilst it wasn't action-packed I have to say, he delivered the good and he came up trumps. And that, you know, represents a massive scalp. I mean, Kelvin Gastelum is a massive scalp considering where he's come from, considering who he's fought, considering that he was in title contention. And, you know, already people are talking about Darren Till um, being in title contention. And that those talks are being had in terms of, you know, what next for him. And, you know, 
I don't think it's going to be a long time before we actually see him challenging for the title. He's made such an impression, especially with the scalp that he's actually taken in Calvin Gastelum. I, I am with you on that, and he's already ranked. I believe he's already in the top five, I believe. Don't hold me to it. There you go. Don't hold me to it, but they've already placed him very high up on the rank. I can't remember the exact number, but I know he's up there. However, I just hope they don't rush him again. He had one fight. He did very well. It was strategic. Yes, it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world. I actually liked it. People complained. When I watched it again, I actually liked it. Call me crazy. I liked the strategy. I liked that he took his time. I liked that he shut Kelvin down, and he needs to be you know, commended for that with the leg kicks. And whenever Kelvin got close, he clinched him up. You know, he, you could just, and Kelvin didn't know what to do with the range. He didn't know how to get in and attack him. And what you saw was not the Kelvin that we saw that went straight at Izzy and that went straight at, you know, uh, Chris Weidman and everybody else and Bisbing. He was shut down. And I think that is a wonderful strategy for Darren Till, but give him one more. Let's build him up a little bit in the middleweight division before we get, feed Inc- him incredible, the king. Incredible game plan. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, the game plan I'd was like to see him against wonderful. Whitaker. Me too. Me too. Give him Whitaker. You can tell he's not too keen on Yo, but like he doesn't need to fight for the title immediately. Let him get a knockout. Let him let him let him get a little confidence under his belt there. You know what I mean? Like give him one more fight. Yeah. Test him one more time. Definitely. Because yes, he shut Kelvin down, but who knows if Kelvin struggled with weight. You never really know what Kelvin didn't or what didn't bring to the table or what was wrong on Kelvin's mm. part. So give him another fight yeah. and see how he does then before we just, you know, give him just a title shot. I'd hate for him to be Woodley again. You know, we gave him Woodley and Woodley destroyed him. If you do that again in middleweight, it's going to break him, you know? I, I think the UFC have learned their lesson with what they did with him when he was at welterweight. It's a well-known and well-heeled fact. You know, they said that they rushed him. So to be in his first fight and to be talking about, you know, a title shot, I think would be ridiculous. It'd be ludicrous. But not only that, I really do feel that the UFC will be going back on their word. And that is, look, we're going to be a little bit more sensible this time round. I would like to see him fight Whitaker in London. I mean, imagine that. That'd be nice. That would be one hell of a headline. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be very, very nice. And London would love that. And that would be, uh, you know, definitely a boost for Darren Till and uh, quite a challenge to be in enemy territory for Whitaker, but nothing he can't handle. So I think that'd be a great bout. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So going back to listener questions, um, any more that actually enable you to unpack we- fight week or even, you know, behind the scenes at UFC 244? I got two more. How's our time? We Can we sneak two more in? What? We're, we're good. Okay, we're let's good. keep we, going. We've still got the, we've still got the ultimate um, uh, to, to come. Okay, good. So we'll go with Joe Bloggs and Ashley. I combined them because they had similar questions, and shout out to them both. They support us, okay. and they're great follows. So Joe and Ashley said, and this is a little gossipy, but it's okay. I, I can handle it. Who was your favorite mm. fighter to interview, and who was your least favorite fighter to interview? Okay. Mm, All right. Juicy. Um, Mm. I'll start with uh, my favorite. My favorite fighter was um, probably the Kevin Lee interview because it just felt like a conversation and I could relate to the topic because I'm not a fighter. So 
I love the subject matter. Yeah. You, you just ran in there and led with. And I, I love the braveness because, you know, some people might have approached it quite tentatively. You've never spoken to before. How would you react right. to this? But I suppose, you know, one of the key and most important things you said to me, it felt like a conversation. So that was definitely the right one to start with. Yeah, and I kind of, I tried to warn him too. If you listen to the interview, I was like, listen, I'm just going to start out with a bang. And that was my way of like warning him, like, hopefully this is something that is going to be jarring, but you can handle. So I didn't want to just... Yeah go out there and be like bam so what you think about race and so i i mm. warned him and thank god he was receptive to it mike but yes i like that conversation because a lot of the questions that i'm asking the fighters i can't relate i don't go to fight camp i don't i don't know what it's like to break someone's nose so having a conversation with him where i can relate where it's like yeah my mother also told me you know i had to work twice as hard or when you hear someone say yeah we're always the underdog were is the key word like i can relate that you know, I can relate to that with him, and the guy's a fighter. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, so I felt connected. One hundred percent. Yeah. And I and I do think for fighters, they say this to me every single time when I'm interviewing them, and that is they get the same basic mm -hmm. in and out question that everybody's regurgitated or everybody's repeated or everybody's basically not coming with anything original. So when you're coming with think pieces, topics like that, that do actually, you know, make them think and engage them in not an interview, but, you in know, a conversation. a conversation that goes down so much better. Yeah. So that was my favorite. And then my least favorite was, I don't have a least favorite. Everybody was pretty cool. And I did not interview everybody. But I will say, because I'm not going to say anything terrible about any fighters, especially the ones during yeah. Media Week. That's just unprofessional. And I didn't get to know them well enough anyway. I can't talk shit. But mm. what I will say mm. is that uh, Corey Anderson and the prelim fighter that opened up the card, Duwadu, they did seem to have some walls up. Like I said hi to really? yeah, I said hi to Corey and he just kinda looked at me kinda funny. So I was just like, ah. And then Duadu just had like his glasses on and he just seemed to be like a little too cool for school. So I didn't feel and then this was my first time doing this, so I didn't feel like res mm. like when you're nervous and you've never done this before, those type of personalities are not the personalities that make you want to interview them. You want somebody you Maybe know? you read Maybe you read Corey exactly right. He had a lot Oof. going into this fight. He had doubt. No doubt he had self-doubt. I mean, he was taking on somebody who was put up on a pedestal, somebody who a lot of people were talking about. I mean, Johnny Walker was touted or being touted to be, you know, definitely in title contention. And this was just a formality, stepping in the cage with Corey Anderson. And, you know, having interviewed Corey Anderson before, when he fought Jimmy Manuel oh. in London and, you know, Jimmy took him to school and basically switched his, his button off. He sure did. Um, I've got to... I've got to admit, he was a charming gentleman. So much so, you know, you could really... You know, he's the type of person that you could go for a drink with and you could talk to him about oh, everything, really? anything. But I do feel... Yeah, definitely. I do feel to a certain extent, you know, he was going into this, um, into this fight with his back against the wall. And you could see it. All of that tension, all of that um, uh, stress, and that anxiety was actually unreal. Well, that was released. You've never seen him react um, to a win in that way before. So much so, I really do feel, um, you know, that was his way of saying, doubt me now. Yeah, I just think that um, he had a lot of resentment for fans, media, 
Dana White in the UFC. I think just like because nobody backed him. Yeah, and everyone says he's boring. Nobody wants to see him fight John Jones, but people are forgetting that he's he's pretty consistent and he wins his fights and he might not and then he's also not the cringe king. So he's people are just like kind of like ignoring him or looking past him and then on top of it the cherry the icing on the cake and the cherry on top is your own company that you work for says you're not a needle mover mm. so doesn't yep. matter that you're winning well he's putting money into these these camps he wants his shot so by the time i met him at media week i think i felt that energy you could just tell he was tired yeah. of it and he was just oh, doing definitely. his job and even dana said when he showed up in new york dana said at the post conference that um you know, Corey had said that it was almost like a conspiracy theory type of things. He was saying the UFC wanted him to lose. They don't back him up. They mm. don't want him to fight for mm. a title. And Dana wasn't happy with that because he's like, I don't talk like that. So there was even some, there's some beef between him and Dana on the Lilo. Dana called him a crybaby. Well, you could say, well, you could say, you know, facts are facts. Before now, what has Corey Anderson brought to the table? No, it's, it's a genuine question. It's not one, you know, I'm not trying to be smart here, but really and truly, has he brought that energy that he brought on Saturday? No, he hasn't. So I can understand where Dana's coming from. Plus, really and truly, I've been on the Johnny Walker um, Kool-Aid. Right. I mean, I was drinking I was drinking bucket loads of the stuff, so much so, you know, I had to go to the toilet at least 16 times <laughs> during that fight because really and truly, I'd bought into the hype. So, you know, to see him lose in such devastating yeah. fashion um, was a surprise to, I think, everybody watching. And I I think, you know, justifiably so, Corey Anderson, you know, had a lot to get off his chest. I mean, I saw some of the post-fight coverage and I think I really hope he backs up his talk. But he was basically saying, look, if you're not going to give me a title fight for my next fight, let me go. Yeah. Yeah, and he did confirmed. I was standing right there when he said it. And I remember being like, because oh, I was, you know, taking pictures and stuff. And I remember being like, yeah, this man means business. However, mm. however, even though he was guarded and I did not feel like he was approachable and he had a chip on his shoulder, he's still yeah. a professional and he's a very nice guy because he apologized to Johnny Walker through the media mm. about his unprofessionalism and his unsportsmanlike behavior and the way in which he celebrated yeah. And he did even explain it. He did feel that Johnny Walker was being disrespectful when he fake tripped, when he came out for the photo shoot um, during media mm. scrum. He was like, you don't put, um, he's like, you already fell after one of your celebrations and hurt your shoulder. And now you're doing it again. You're acting stupid. You're putting money. <laughs> in, and I, I kind of like, I kind of was like, I kind of can understand that. Like you already hurt yourself. You didn't learn the first time. There's money. I'm, you're not fighting yourself here. If you trip and hurt yourself, my fight and the money that I want to get from this could go down the drain. Take this a bit more serious. And everybody thinks you're the superstar when I am. So, but then he was like, that's why I acted crazy afterwards. It was just too much for me, but he did apologize. And he also needs to be commended for that, you know? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, that was the, the mature thing exactly. to do. And it shows that he is, at heart, a true professional. Yeah, and a human being. He felt bad. And I, I like to see that about fighters, that they're like, you know what, I fucked up, and I'm a human being, and I'm sorry. And I think Johnny accepted his apology, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Final question. Yes, we've got um, a real good one here. It's from my friend. Um, I can't pronounce his name. Natraj, he's from he, he's from India, but he lives in Germany. Shout out to you. Um, he mm. said, "What do you think of Nate Diaz using 
the N-word and casually and seeing almost no reaction from the media. Mm. And, you know, that was the worrying thing for me. I mean, just your your own personal take first off. I mean, you, you, you give me from an American perspective, you know, from the States. Yeah, a- how does that actually sit with you as an African-American hearing that? I, I hate the word. Um, I don't like to hear it from anybody, but I especially don't like to hear it from white people in, in, in regard, regardless of the context, whether you're repeating what someone said to you or whether you're repeating a rap song or whether you're using it as a racial slur. The historical connotation to that word is too thick for me. It is um, the, the origin is from white people. OK, it's yeah. it's. And I'm talking about not uh, Negra because that is the origin is from Spain. I'm talking about N-I-G-G-E-R is something that was created in the States. And plenty of people that look like me and you heard that word before they were hung, burned, mutilated, or blown up. And I don't care that people are using it in rap songs. Shame on them for using it for that word. But it doesn't mean there aren't people like me out there that still find it grossly offensive no matter how you use it. So stop fucking using it. That's how I feel about Mm. it. So when I heard Nate drop it, it it made me cringe. mm. Go ahead. Now, that's, that's interesting that you say that because you're coming from an African-American uh, um, perspective where, you know, the, the term nigger, I feel, was actually created to take away currency, to take away um, the power of the original uh, connotation or the original uh, manifestation of the word nigger. Now, I know it's common parlance where he's from, you know, Stockton 209 or whatever. But considering the gathered media, you know, you, you know, you would have thought considering the multicultural aspect of the media that he was addressing as well, I would have thought he would not have used the word nigger. Now, whilst he isn't the most culturally sensitive uh, in the bunch. (laughs) I personally don't think that excuses him from the fact that anyone who is not black using that term should know it rubs us up the wrong way. I'm cool with black people using it. I've got to admit, because it takes currency away from it. Right. It's like we're taking it back. And desensitizes. Yeah. It desensitizes the word. And we're owning it. You know, I'm. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not impressed at all by his use of it. I have a problem when white people use it. Whilst I'm not offended. You know, to an extent where I'm going to go on a rampage and, you know, put together a, a 5,000 word essay and, you know, uh, <laughs> alert, right. alert every single, you know, outlet that sponsors uh, Nate, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not going to do that, but, um, you know, it, it does actually, it doesn't please me in the slightest to hear him say no. it. You know, one of the things as well, just to back that up, I was quite intrigued when you said that, you know, um, none of the media actually challenged him. Maybe they didn't do it overtly. Maybe they didn't do it in a way that um, caused waves. But uh, one of my favorite journalists out there, Chisanga Malata, I approached him because I know for a fact he would have a view on it because he was, uh, he was front sitting and center. several rows in front yep. of you because he was right in the front when he was being addressed. And, you know, what he said to me, um, I, I really do feel um, kind of like backs up my point. And that is, you know, I approached him on Twitter and I thought, you know, it would be really good to get his take. And I'm just going to pull up exactly what he said, if you just bear with me 30 seconds whilst I just 
go into the archives mm-hmm. now. Um, 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 right. Okay. He said, um, as much as I was jarred by him using it, um, and he said that I, he, he actually was sat next. He was sat right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And his initial reaction was like, okay. Um, and this is what he said. As much as I was jarred by him using it, I know in his culture of where he's from in Stockton, especially amongst Mexicans and African-Americans, it's used very loosely. Had he said, fuck that nigger, it would have been a different story. Plus, he ain't the smartest tool in the box. Ooh, facts. <laughs> I, I, I agree with him, but I just simply don't let people... You you know I don't that's not a pass for me because my thing is like mm. this okay so you're um, Latino Hispanic or white and just not you know someone that looks black or is black and you're using that word correct so you have yeah. friends that allow you you have friends that are black that allow you to use that word what in your right mind makes you think that all black people are like your friends you know damn well that there are other black people that are not going to tolerate that so why not mm-hmm. just use that, that word around the black friends that tolerate it but when you're not with them why do you have to make me feel uncomfortable the person who doesn't like when you use that word and they know and that's the best part about this word is so funny is that so many people that are not black want to use that word and they know it's offensive yeah. because they won't come to my neighborhood in brooklyn and use it You know what I mean? Mm. Like, how come if you want to use the word so bad, come to a black neighborhood and say it and see what happens. And being that, you know, the (laughs) but hear me out, Mike, being that the results are going to be very badly, that the results are going to be really bad for you. Why would you want to say a word like that? You know, it's offensive. Why do you want to say it? Even if your black friends are cool with it, there are black people out there that are going to fuck you up and you know it's offensive. Why do you need to why do you need to say it? It don't make no sense. If he wants to use it, Nate Diaz, with his Mexican friends and his black friends, that's fine. But at a media conference where they're not there, why the the hell would you say that? (laughs) Exactly. You know, just picking up on something that you said that, you know, in terms of it being offensive. I reached out to, again, one of my favorite rappers in the UK, Genesis Elijah, and I got his take on it. And basically what he said was this. See, I grew up on pun and Fat Joe saying it like it was normal without any backlash. So I always thought it was normal for Latinos to use that word. Personally, I think it's just different, a different thing culturally in America. Way before hip hop culture, it was used in hoods of America. It's only relatively recently, NWA, Big Daddy Kane era, that it crossed over to the mainstream US and across the world. And then now we're retroactively overlaying rules over a lawless word. It already has a life of its own before we decided who can and can't say it. Personally, I think none of us should say it. But at the same time, I have no problem with people of colour using it as long as they are from the culture and when i asked him specifically <laughs> do you have a problem with nate using it he said no 
Mm, interesting. I mean, I, I will say this. When I, I grew up in New York, we have a lot of Puerto Ricans and we have a lot of Spanish people and Dominicans. And when, when I was young and they used it, I never thought nothing of it. And then I got older and realized yeah. that a lot of Hispanic people, the same people that I spoke of, are racist as shit. No, you cannot use that mm. word. You're not going to turn around mm-hmm. and, and, and look at me like I'm inferior to you. And meanwhile, you're darker than me or you're just you look black and you drop the N word. And now, oh, I'm not black. You know what I mean? But you use the N word. Yeah, it, yeah. That's that's yeah. not all right. So now I don't want mm. no one saying it. I don't want Hispanics. I don't want black people saying it. And I don't say it. You know, I try not to. I will admit that. Now, now it's interesting you say, you know, you know, you don't like people using it because i put out a a very very quick straw poll now i know this is just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of people feeding back and i know this is just a very very quick snap Mm -hmm. poll but 280 people actually chimed in um now the figures actually break down like this i asked the question or i put it out um earlier today i said both me and g from wo tv will be discussing the word nigger in this context later on the wocast when should this term be used now 58% of people said never 28% of people said always and other people leaving just incredible comments below 14% of those actually um, commented so it was an interesting breakdown but the overall um, feel of the poll is that it should never be used I agree. I agree. I, I just like what I told you back in the day, I was this way. Now at my age now, I've changed. And I'm even trying to eradicate it from my, you know, vocabulary. It's just a, mm. it's like this, Mike, even though it's cool, and it's used in rap songs, and Nate Diaz now is using yeah. it. And it and I'm not, listen, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Sometimes it is really cool to use. I've used it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it can fly off the tongue and it's good in the rap music. Mm. But when it comes down to yeah. it, it's still offensive. And we need to pull that back and realize that it's offensive. There's people out there, like my parents, that don't care where it comes from. The music, nothing. You can't say that in here. People died because of that word. That word means infer- you're inferior. And people have died because okay. of that word. So we got to stop using let, it. Let me ask you a question sure. then. Um, there are so many rap tracks that featured that word. Now, we both know that rap is universal in terms of the audience. There are people who are enjoying it from China uh, to Africa to Australia to London. Mm-hmm. Now, me singing along, let's just imagine I'm a white kid uh, from um, Dagenham. And I'm singing along um, to all my niggas and my bitches. Now, I'm singing along. Do I get a pass? Um, Can I sing along? Me personally, I'm not exactly going to slap a white person for singing along to a rap song. But, but you know what happens when, when you do that? I cringe. I just yeah. it's just like when Nate said it at the cr- press conference I blinked like 8 times. Yeah, I just it's wow. a word that just makes me uncomfortable when the when a certain when I'll be honest when white people use it or when Spanish people use it mm. cuz it's like mm. you're not black and on top of it you have so many like um precondition pre um you have notions about us implicit biases like some of you are even racist using this word it's disrespectful like none of you would switch places with me why you want to use the word? You know, when it comes down to it, y'all draw the line and be like, I'm white and you're black. But yet you want to use the N word. It's not cool. And it's offensive, period. But I can't say that when a white person uses it, 
I check them on it. Some people are just ignorant and some people just, you know, just say it in a rap song. And I understand you're enjoying the song and you think it's cool. So it just depends on the circumstances. Now, if you use it in a racial way and I'm upset or something and I'm in a store, yeah, I'll check you like some MAGA person calls me the N word. I'll probably get into a fight. But using Mm. it in a rap song, I'm gonna let it slide, but it's definitely going to bother me. I'm going to cringe, you know. You see, I just wanted just to end on this one thing, and that is, I was uh, on a coach once, and uh, there were a group of guys putting up. Actually, no, they were taking down their suitcases from the uh, the, the, the the baggage area um, above the seats. And uh, one of the guys said to these two white guys. One of the guys said to the other guy when handing him his little suitcases, "Is." Here you go, my nigga. And I looked up and I thought, now, here is a conundrum. Is he actually using that as a term of endearment? So much so that he is copying the term of endearment that, you know, black people um, actually call themselves that um, and have termed it as a term of endearment. Or is he violating? Is he looking at me and thinking that's palatable. I, so I have a question for you. him. Oh, no, no. Yeah. Fin- finish your story. I thought I thought you were wrapping up. I don't want to interrupt. But I, I do. I have I, a question I, I, for I look, you in reference to this. Keep going. I looked at him and, you know, it was almost as though, you know, the color drained from his face. He didn't say anything, but he could tell that this wasn't the one to play that tune with. Now, it made me think, you know, after he got off the bus, I was thinking, well, we've kind of made that acceptable parlance because of the fact that, you know, when it is wrapped along with, when it is actually um, said uh, as a way of actually either jokily aping what, you know, is said on record, nobody checks it. So it is and will continue to become common parlance if we don't check it. Right. You're you're absolutely right. But... Let me ask you a question in reference to that, because mm. when when, yeah. a, when a white person does that to me, I um, get a little angry because it's like I think it's my ego. That's kind of like if you wouldn't say that in my neighborhood, why are you saying that mm. to me? Like I take it personal, like, you know, damn well that if you do this to some random black person, you're going to get slapped. So what is it about Gina that made you be like, what up, my N word? You know, like, oh, right. you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I suppose it's a little it, there is a subtle difference here. He was talking to his white oh. friend in handing him the case. He wasn't talking to me. Oh, I thought he was talking but to you. What I, I like, don't Ooh. think he had clocked. Yeah, what I don't think he had clocked. What I don't think uh, he had surveyed the land before he took down his suitcase or his friend's suitcase and handed it to him. Because as I say, the colour drained from his face. But because, you know... I, I, I've got the appearance sometimes that, you know, I, I could get a little bit ignorant. But you know what I'm... But, but I wasn't planning on it. Yeah, because... That's you, why you, I reckon the, the colour drained from his face. Yeah, but... Because I checked him just by my attitude yes, and my outlook. You taught him. What he saw was somebody who was offended. But you know what? This is why I like having these conversations, Mike, because I actually would love to talk to a, like a white person about this if you know the word is offensive to some black people. And you don't know which yeah. ones, just like what happened to you. Right away, dude knew that he was wrong. Oh, this ain't the black person that I should be saying this around. He picked up on it right away. Why say it in the first place? You know it's wrong. Why say it in the first place? Why, why white people got to wait until they get checked? 
Just don't say it. If there's a word out there right now that offends white people to the core and some of them use it and some of them don't, I just don't use it because I don't want to offend one person. Why white people don't feel like that, I don't know. And I'd love to know why. And if anybody wants to discuss this with me on my Twitter page, it is, <laughs> it is a safe place. No, I'm serious. White people, why do y'all want to use a word that's offensive? Is it like, does it make you cool? Do you feel like you're black? Are you in? Like, what, what is it about this word that makes you want to say it knowing damn well there's probably more black people out there that'll fuck you up for saying it and you know and you pick and choose which blacks you say it around? Why? We'll, we'll put it this way, just before we wrap up, just to say, anybody who wants to actually converse with you, myself or G, can take it to Twitter. I'm at Mike TV. G is at Gina from TV. This actually concludes the first of two episodes, which will be coming down the pipe this week. So no doubt, um, if people are listening and they do want to actually continue this conversation, you don't have to. I mean, we can speak about all manner of things right. um, on Twitter. But you have our Twitter addresses, as I mentioned, Mike Wo TV or Gina from Wo TV on Twitter. We'll happily uh, discuss, discuss. Yes, it's a and, safe um, place. You know, conversate on that. <laughs> yeah, you got to remind people it's a safe place. Race is so difficult to talk about, but I won't bite your head off. And I really want to know how y'all feel about this. So hit me up. 100%. Well, until the next episode, which is coming down the pipe in probably about 24 to 48 hours, make some trouble. Facts.